Welcome to this episode of the PA Path Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lohenry, and we're glad you could join us as we seek to better understand the PA profession. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you back, and I'm excited today to be interviewing Dr. Mary Jo Bondi, the Chief Executive Officer of the Physician Assistant Education Association, otherwise known as PAEA. In February of 2020, Mary Jo Bondi became the first PA to serve as CEO of PAEA, the only national organization serving the more than 270 accredited and developing PA programs around the country. In this role, she leads a staff of 40 dedicated to meeting the association's vision of health for all by promoting the overall health and wellness of PA programs, their faculty, and their students through faculty development, advocacy, research, and other products and services. After graduating from Duke University's PA program in 1993, she worked in many clinical settings and specialties, including family medicine, emergency medicine, internal medicine, and orthopedics. Throughout her career, she has been a clinical preceptor for PA students, and she is an award-winning educator. Dr. Bondi has served multiple roles as a PA faculty member, including program director for the Anne Arundel Community College, University of Maryland, Baltimore PA program. She earned the Doctor of Health Education degree from A.T. Still University in May of 2011, and during her tenure as the AACCPA program director, she led the college's collaboration with the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and in 2014, she became the UMB Graduate School Director of Graduate Academic Programs and subsequently Assistant Dean of Graduate Academic Programs. Dr. Bondi was also a leader in innovating and expanding online education at the UMB Graduate School, establishing the Academic Innovation in Distance Education Office, and was a key member of the UMB Graduate School team that established a new PhD program in health professions education. Before coming to PAEA, she played a critical role in UMB receiving state funding in 2019 to establish and sustain the Physician Assistant Leadership and Learning Academy, otherwise known as PALA, where she served as the founding executive director. The mission of PALA is to increase the capacity of faculty to educate future PAs for the Maryland health workforce and to advance PA education, research, and policy. Dr. Bondi has served in multiple leadership roles at the state, regional, and national level, lending her insights and experience in health professions education, PA practice, and leadership. Well, Mary Jo, thank you again for joining us. Uh, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your own personal path to becoming a PA. Well, thanks, Kevin. I, I appreciate the invitation, and it's great to be here. Thanks for all that you do um, in your leadership. Um, my path, much like previous guests on your, your podcast, was uh, not linear. I did not know about the PA profession um, when I began thinking about a career potentially in medicine. My parents told me, use your life well, and that means serving others, whatever that is. Um, my dad was uh, uh, an engineer, um, aeronautical engineer, actually. Um, I spent some time in California growing up, and uh, my mother was a nurse. So I had great role models as far as using my life for in service. So I went to uh, to college and I I bounced around a bit. I studied a little education, uh, studied a little bit of biology. Um, I ended up uh, graduating with a medical technology degree. And during that year, that last year, I studied in a cohort 
And that was a tremendous learning opportunity. I really enjoyed uh, learning at the hospital. Um, I became a phlebotomist. I, um, I had a group of people that I, I did clinical rotations with, and I thrived in that environment. So after graduation, I, I took a job at Duke, and it's at Duke that I, I was introduced to the physician assistant profession and physician assistants, but again, in a very roundabout way. Uh, a, a physician, uh, I used to work nights actually in the lab as a med tech and a physician came down and needed a really complicated study done. And I was working in toxicology and chemistry. And I said, I would be happy to do it for him. And he sat with me and said, you know, you really should think about um, seeing patients directly and being with patients directly based on your interests. And so he allowed me to shadow and I was able to see medicine and PAs and nursing working in tandem for the benefit of patients. And I just fell in love. So I applied to the Duke PA program. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to be accepted. And then my career trajectory from there has been, again, nonlinear. I've worked in four different specialties. And uh, all along, I've been in education. I went back to education very early uh, volunteering to teach, precept, uh, become a regional clinical coordinator, and then uh, full-time faculty uh, moving forward to uh, academic and program director like yourself, and then ultimately assistant dean, where I really learned a lot about at at University of Maryland, Baltimore, about leadership, institutional leadership, uh, education, and organizational leadership. So that really brought me here a desire to give back to our profession and and serve our profession as we, you know, work to train the next generation of PAs. That's wonderful. So that that is quite a varied kind of path that you've taken. Um, you mentioned the four specialties that you had ultimately worked in. Can we talk a little bit about that in terms of what was the attraction to the first one? Uh, what did you ultimately decide? When you left that to go to the next one, was, you know, were there any kind of key learnings that you experienced that kind of led you to your various clinical paths? Yeah, absolutely. Again, mentorship played such a role here. So as I was going through PA school, I loved every one of my rotations. They were so amazing. And it was hard to choose just one. Um, but as I was graduating in 1993, um, PA positions were not as uh, readily available in uh, the area that I was hoping to to stay, which was the Durham area. Um, obviously, there were a lot of positions at uh, Duke. And so my first position was with Duke Orthopedics. And I was so lucky because my supervising physician was Dr. William T. Hardiker, who was the residency director. And so he was a tremendous role model, a tremendous teacher. Um, I worked very, very closely with him, with the residents, and he truly treated me like a colleague from day one. It was a wonderful experience. I stayed with uh, orthopedics for about three years, and then I went and did internal medicine and uh, made a move to the coast where I practiced internal medicine and then urgent care and really just loved being involved with the community in Wilmington and, and uh, in the coast of, of North Carolina. 
And then I got a call from a preceptor uh, who I had had as a student. And he said, Mary Jo, you always loved emergency medicine. And I've always known that you wanted to practice in emergency medicine. So you've been out there long enough. I've been watching you. Time for you to come back. And wow. so it was really amazing. Uh, he, uh, he offered uh, for me to come back and interview. There was a position as a, a senior PA in the emergency de- department at PA. And um, so I, that was that story. And so I remained in emergency medicine until I moved to education full time. And in that role, I was able to precept uh, consistently, you know, students rotating through. And that was a wonderful experience to be able to be the lead coordinator for that. And I think you just highlighted for me one of the classic arguments for precepting that we always try to tell our, you know, our community partners that, you know, you have an opportunity to get to know a wide variety of students. You can follow them in their careers. And when you have a need, when you have an opening, it's a great opportunity to reach out to somebody that was really impressive to you and recruit them back. So your workforce needs can be met really easily by giving some of your time and teaching. Yeah, you know, graduating from Duke, that was the one thing that we were left with is that we had a duty of service um, to give back in some way. It was not dictated to us, but whether it was teaching or, or giving back, in, in other ways, but precepting was something I absolutely loved to do. I loved the energy of the students. I think for me, teaching is learning twice, right? I learn more by teaching. And so it's such a wonderful opportunity to give back to our, our profession, to our community and help our students along. Yeah, and also from applicant's perspective or a student's perspective, Teaching is one of the highest forms of learning as well, right? Retaining information. And so that's great. Where, where did you pick up the leadership bug? So again, you know, I've, I've been so lucky in life. Uh, It really was in my uh, clinical practice that uh, I was asked by, uh, at that time, my the chair of the department who was my supervising physician said, you know, you are emerging as a, as a leader on your team. And I was wondering if you'd like to take a more formal leadership role um, related to that. And so it was really somebody else seeing something in me that maybe at that time I didn't see in myself. And that gave me that, that opportunity to examine an interest in leadership. I was always involved as a student, whether it was in the, um, the state academy, um, or you know, serving in some way on committee uh, to volunteer services, and so I was doing that work all throughout my my career. Uh, but it was really that time in the emergency department where my uh, supervising physician said, "You know, I think you should really make this a formal leadership experience." And so since then, I've been putting my hat in the ring for opportunities to grow and serve and, and, uh, and try to be uh, a servant leader to, to our profession. And, and you had alluded to your role as assistant dean at the University of Maryland Baltimore role, and that that role gave you a lot of opportunity to understand a broader perspective of education. What are maybe the one or two key things that you've brought with you to PAEA from that experience? Again, just so lucky and so grateful to be surrounded by tremendous leaders. 
Uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore is a, a unique institution in that it's it's particularly graduate level medical um, and law. And my experience at the University of Maryland, Baltimore was really an interprofessional education experience where I was able to work with faculty and leadership and deans across the university to advance the, the goals of the profession. So they really helped me understand the importance of alignment with institutional values and mission and vision. You hear that all the time, but making decisions based on core values, mission and vision day to day and using them actively to respond to difficult challenges that we face at the institution leadership level was such a takeaway. And I watched my mentors and leaders do that every day. And I, I was you know, honored to be part of that team. It also gave me a real interest in research and the importance of research um, and advocacy, as well as innovation and taking chances and being willing to fail forward and learn from that failure. And last, the importance of making real data-informed decisions and being clear to all stakeholders how you made that decision, why you made that decision. And again, back to how it aligns with the mission and the vision of the institution. And I hope you see that I'm bringing that to PAEA um, when we are working with navigating a very difficult time, like the crisis that, that we uh, experienced with COVID or the social injustice that we've been uh, experiencing and the reckoning that we're going through with that as we work to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, let, let's move on to that because, you know, here you are the first PA in history to lead the only organization that represents all the PA schools. And, you know, you start in, in February of 2020. The pandemic had been starting uh, overseas, but had not yet really blown up in the United States. And so I suspect that you had kind of your ideal goals and, and metrics that you were hoping to kind of roll into as you assimilated into the culture. But then you're hit with the, you know, the pandemic first and then the George Floyd murder, the Ahmaud Arbery murder, Breonna Taylor, you know, all the social injustice and unrest in our, in our country. And you're leading the group that prepares PA educators to deal with these things. So maybe help us understand how PAEA um, adjusted in that with your new leadership. Well, um, I would say that that 90 day scenario that I had in my head um, flew out the window early in February. We had eyes on the pandemic. Certainly there was no way to predict the global impact that it was going to have. But we as a team, as a senior leadership team and with, with in combination with the board, um, we're preparing early in February even to think about how this was going to affect our programs. And so there was outreach to our accreditor and there was a recognition that we were going to have to shift online and many of our programs would not be ready for that shift or may wonder how to do that shift and do it well because all of our programs really consider high quality and educational excellence as, a, uh, as an expectation. And so we started the pivot, right? We, we started to uh, create educational programming to help our programs make that shift. Uh, outreach to our uh, 
outreach to the programs, outreach to our creditor, um, to understand that that was going to be the, the way that education was going to need to go. We ourselves as staff uh, went remote uh, mid-March, like many people did uh, as well. Fortunately, we had remote work policy in place, so that was not as jarring for some. But I will tell you that being a, a new leader to a group of of individuals and leading and not having that time to get to know each other was was uh, somewhat challenging, but we have made it through because I have a tremendous team. And then I can't I can't tell you how important the work of the board was and Howard Straker's leadership was uh, to help navigating us through the social unrest, the, the loss of George Floyd and, um, and others and trying to make sense of, you know, where we were and what was happening in the world at the same time as we were experiencing COVID. And we just really wanted to have a dialogue. We, we knew that people needed to convene and connect and, and that's what PAEA does. So we went to town halls and open forums and had those for our faculty and our, for our leaders, but also for our students. Yeah. And that was so powerful to hear their stories. In fact, we just had another one for the students. We had a town hall on Monday uh, for the students where 300 uh, of our students came and talked about and uh, their experiences and what they're experiencing now. We continue that dialogue with them working to create brave and safe spaces so they can talk about what they're experiencing in PA programs, what barriers or challenges they're facing, or give us ideas of what we can do better, how we can help our programs more. And they, are, they have been open and, um, and honest with us. And I just have so much appreciation for our board and for our, our new chief, uh, Monica Miles, who's amazing. She joined us. Uh, she was one of my first hires at PAEA because uh, I recognized coming in the door before anything happened um, that we needed that voice at PAEA. We needed that lead. I needed that leadership on our team right. and our, our DIMAC. They've been tremendous in helping us navigate this. Yeah. And I think the, the, let's not sell short your passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion that you've, you've brought from your experiences at Anne Arundel and Baltimore. So obviously that was something that was near and dear to your heart, but congrats on really, really recognizing that need. I think as a program director, you know, our biggest challenge with our students was just trying to be present and trying to be supportive and, and navigate the different voices that were coming to the forefront based on the the challenges of police brutality, of uh, these un unnecessary and systemic racism-driven murders. And, and then, you know, fast forward to the spring when the Asian hate began in a much broader way. And, and so our Asian American students are, are really feeling it, particularly for, you know, they're very brave and kind of stand up for themselves in a way that's, that's admirable. But, you know, deep down, they're terrified for their family members. They're terrified for their grandparents. And so it's it's been a really rough year. Congrats on on the chief diversity officer. Maybe we could talk a little bit about your plans for diversity, equity, inclusion moving forward. Uh, any anything you can share with our audience at this point that uh, PAEA is working towards? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. So you know, last year the forum in in the town halls that we had during the forum, we asked our members what were the critical issues that they felt faced the profession. And overwhelmingly, we heard 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and justice. And so we are in the process of doing our strategic plan right now, um, preparing our, our strategic plan. And I will tell you that diversity, equity, inclusion will be cross-cutting uh, through everything that the association does. And Monica will, will serve as a point person for that, but you will see our commitment for, for equity and inclusion in our educational programming, in how we teach people uh, to do assessments and write assessments, um, in everything that we do related to our hiring practices. You will see it in um, the work that, our, that all of our MACs are doing, in fact, all of our mission advancement commissions right now are working collectively on creating a webinar series uh, to talk about how diversity, equity, and inclusion is manifest in higher education and in medical education, and particularly how it is affected if we don't do it right, if we don't use best practices um, in our admissions. If uh, if we don't consider it in our curriculum, if we don't consider it with our patients. And so I really look forward to the work that they're going to be presenting, uh, probably starting in August. But it'll be a, a series of webinars put on for, from our um, our max on diversity, equity, inclusion. You'll definitely see it in our publications and in our surveys. We did the rapid response surveys over the last year and a half because we really felt we needed to study PA education and learn from the experience we were having real time. But as we go back to regular surveys and provide this last rapid response survey, uh, number four, we are going to be referencing our diversity, equity, and inclusion toolkit and checking in with the programs and finding out where they are and what gaps there are and how we can best serve them and support them as they advance their goals related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's fantastic. I have to tell you that we just as a team at USC uh, opened up that toolkit. We're in the process, you know, we changed our mission a year ago, we updated it. We, we've always had a focus on diversity, but, but the equity and inclusion wasn't part of the language in our, in our mission statement or in our goals. It was just diversity and, and our kind of values and goals were measured around that, yet um, we felt like we could dig deeper. And so, uh, we brought open the, you know, we opened the DIMAC toolkit on that and dug in as a subcommittee and we're making recommendations to our entire team based on those tools. So I, I would just uh, commend you all for that work. Uh, the DIMAC did a great job. They really did. And it was obviously a labor of love, um, but so thoughtfully put together to really empower programs to define what they what they want to accomplish over time and help them get there. And I think your experience um, at USC is, is similar to mine. When we were, when I was at uh, Anne Arundel and UMB, we, we had diversity as part of our, our mission, but we had not emphasized, you know, equity and inclusion and uh, as much. And we are really at PAEA um, looking through the work that we do through the through diversity, equity, and inclusion, very intentionally. Yeah, I've, I've learned from my colleagues uh, in in all the diversity work we've been doing in the last year. If you can focus on diversity in the in the realm of recruitment, best practices for student recruitment, retention, faculty recruitment, staff recruitment, that's wonderful. 
But if they come to an environment where people from a wide variety of perspectives don't feel welcome and part of the family, you're totally missing the boat. And, and so through equity and inclusion and really embracing the variety of perspectives and, and, and lifting it up, amplifying those perspectives so that everybody has a voice and everybody feels like they have a seat at the table of related to decisions and, and program improvement and things like that. Um, it's a much more excellent experience for everybody. So, yeah. You're, you're exactly right. The climate surveys, whether they're done at the program or the institution level, are incredibly valuable for uncovering some of those experiences that may not be obvious to faculty. Uh, we found that in the town halls were very, very valuable as well. And then I would say it is within diverse environments that we elevate the quality of education and we get to the point of excellence. It is because of the diverse perspectives, experiences, ideas that we really elevate education. And so I think that that, that should be the goal moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Well, I look forward to seeing what else comes out from PAEA related to that topic. Uh, if we can shift gears for a second, I think the applicants that might be listening are, first of all, CASPA, the Centralized Application Service for PAs is, is somewhat of an enigma. But actually, centralized application services have been around for quite a while now in all the health professions, and CASPA was one of the first. What are the things that PAEA is doing related to applicants and trying to help not only applicants navigate the complexity of our, our rigorous and somewhat chaotic processes related to admissions? Uh, you know, the programs all, as you know, we've talked about this at the professional level, the prerequisites are all challenging because they're not the same across all programs. And, and that has been a ongoing challenge for PAEA and for all the programs in terms of trying to figure out how do we, how do we do it and why should we? I think there's this, you know, Mustang mentality in our profession related to our identity as unique, wonderful programs in our own light. Yet, what I've really, really learned recently through the lens of applicants is how incredibly challenging that is for them and expensive is, you know, in some ways it might be hurting our diversity efforts because students who come from more socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds are really having to make some difficult choices about where to invest their money, you know, whether they can afford that many interviews if they were allowed to, to be invited. So I'm just curious, I know that uh, PAEA has some work that they're doing around applicants and I thought it'd be great to highlight that at this point. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate this. So coming into PAEA, as you said, CASPA is kind of an enigma. I really set my sights on learning um, more about CASPA. What was working? What may have been challenging? What, may, what was the user experience? What may have been part of uh, holding back um, programs related to using our, the, the tool more or using um, the resources more? So I spent significant amount of time with our CASPA team who are amazing. And recently, I'm, I'm excited to say this is the first announcement of this, Kevin, if, if you don't mind, but uh, oh, please. PAEA has just hired a senior director of admissions, a PA um, known to our community, uh, Donna Murray. And she'll, she's joining our team, uh, right. you know, this week, actually. So coming on board and she will really be working with our programs much more closely 
in helping them understand best practices and admissions, but also really advancing our outreach to students and really learning more about what their needs, wants, and preferences are so we can inform enhancement with our liaison partners moving forward. So I'm so excited about this because we know that there, there are some challenges with, within that. But I'd, I'd also like to say that you know, I got into the data that I'm, I'm a, I think of a researcher by heart. And um, what we found through our prerequisite surveys is that there's 10 core courses that at least 85 to 87% of our programs all have. So that idea of the wide breadth of prerequisites is true, but there is a, a solid core and so really doing some work about demystifying prerequisites and, and helping our applicants navigate that is work that we intend to do and making that path a little bit, bit clearer and a little less foggy um, as, as they go down that road. The other thing that we're doing is we're challenging through data um, some of the practices we've held dear. And I, and I heard you mention this when you talked to the presidents, you know, why are programs requiring shadowing? What are you trying to accomplish? And in all that we've learned in this time of COVID, is there a different way that we can do it? Could they meet that requirement maybe by a video like your, one of your presidents recommended? Or another way to really convey to the programs that they understand the roles and responsibilities and the duties of a PA and are open and willing to taking on that challenge and ready to learn how to do so. So I think that that's going to be critical. The broad breadth of the number of hours that programs require of healthcare experience and what qualifies as healthcare experience, you know, I, I think we need to examine that critically. And I think we have to look at some of our practices and maybe think about how we're holding our applicants back you know, for shadowing or healthcare experience for a student who's coming directly out of college, that requires a significant amount of social capital and financial support. And so we may be cutting off the possibility of a whole group of people who want to be PAs. The other thing that I will tell you is that we're not just looking at the present, we're looking at the future. And we are about to experience a, an enrollment cliff in the mm -hmm. undergraduate environment and the demographics of our country are shifting. We have to be mindful of that and looking to partner with other institutions like community colleges or like health systems who want to help and support people who are maybe older or in another career, kind of like I was, to come back. Uh, to graduate level education and begin a path to become a PA. So we have a lot of really big aspirational goals and a lot of work to do. But through partnership, I think we can get it done. And I think we can really work diligently to help develop a health workforce that looks more like our communities. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Really a lot to unpack there. And, and it's all wonderful. I think there's your point, the 
the prerequisite aspect and having kind of a core set of prerequisites that could be advertised. And I know our admissions team puts a lot of effort into assessing courses at hundreds of schools to ensure that they meet what we are, you know, our basic scientists feel like uh, prepares students to be successful. But that data is a little sketch, to be honest. I, I, I would say I don't always buy into that mantra that, you know, students have to have that. It's not always as it seems, to your point. And, and we likely, um, with what we know about educational theory and, and the neuroscience related to learning and bias, we actually may be doing our students a great disservice by trying to predict who will be successful. And learning has changed. The learning environment and the landscape has changed. And the half-life of knowledge is so short now, right? So um, just understanding pedagogy and and andragogy and, and understanding how students learn may actually make a big difference in admissions and the way we look at admissions moving forward and who we invite to our programs to give them an opportunity to serve our communities. Wow. Well, I'm very excited to see that work uh, come to fruition. And congratulations on your new hire. That sounds really exciting. Um, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't delve into this topic. And I recognize that it's premature that, you know, the the American Academy of Physician Assistants uh, in May at their House of Delegates voted to change the name of the profession. And and there's a lot to, to kind of consider with that, including the fact that we have to open a practice act in all the states to change that name, which is in and of itself is a bit of a, a large proposition anyways. So I'm sure PAEA is uh, is contemplating this and, and maybe you don't have much to share at this point because it's still so quick but I know that our students and our applicants are asking about the impact of that on them. So any thoughts on where you're heading with this as an organization? We are. So, you know, thank you for the question and I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to address this. So we were in the house of delegates at the, at the time, the PA, PAEA staff, our advocacy staff in particular, and our board have been engaged in trying to understand the potential impact of title change, um, the benefits and risk of title change, both related to the association, but also to our programs and speaking on behalf of our programs after reaching out to them to understand what their needs, wants, and preferences are. And so we, we continue to hold those in the forefront in our mind. And what we know is that right now, title change is a bit of a polarizing topic. And PAEA and the board has uh, committed to representing all PAs, um, whether they want to self-identify as a physician assistant or a physician associate, because we know that these two titles, if you will, are going to be in the lexicon at the same time for a while. And it may cause, you know, some confusion because, as you said, states are going to have to open up their practice acts and and then programs will follow the states. Right. That likely this is not going to happen on a federal level and it's not going to happen swiftly. So PAEA is committed to working with our sister organizations, APA, NCCPA and ARCPA to help our programs navigate this. And one of the things that I can say is probably the most important is that until these things are changed in statute, students, 
faculty should not be self-identifying as a physician associate or introducing ourselves to patients in a clinical environment as physician associates, because that could actually have a deleterious effect um, in advancing this work. We are really trying to work to understand some of the challenges that our programs may have in doing this. And we also recognize the variability that it's not going to be a checklist that every program experiences the same way of making this change because our programs are housed at so many different types of institutions. So we are working to try to understand their needs um, and meet them with resources. We're also looking critically at our own strategic plan and goals and prioritizing title change in that continuum and appropriately tying our financial and capital investments along that strategic priority continuum as well. And so you may see PAEA um, continue to engage and ask questions and open dialogue or provide talking points of title change. But we really feel that AAPA is leading this effort and we are playing more of a, a collaborative role. Uh, before we close, are there any topics that we haven't covered that you were hoping to share with our audience today? You know, I just I'm, I'm just so grateful that you're doing this and trying to, again, demystify application and and the process of of uh, getting into the to the profession. It is highly competitive. It remains highly competitive. And I was listening to your presence talk about this, and it is not uncommon that people have to apply multiple times. But I would say that there is learning in each one of those opportunities. There's learning through challenge. And don't give up. Keep trying. If this is your passion, if this is where you want to be and how you want to lead and how you want to serve, keep going for it. You will find the right place for you. And to that end, the same kind of advice that you give students, Kevin, is, is so important and should be reiterated that, you know, look at the programs, look at the the faculty, look at the vision, look at the mission, look at the values, make sure that they resonate with you because that is more likely to create a, a safe and brave and, and challenging environment for which you can learn in. And, uh, and I think that that's critical moving forward. And then, you know, to the PAs listening out there and to others, please consider giving back, you know, reach out to your programs. We welcome you at PAA. Uh, to be a member of our community, reach out to us and and we'll help you if you have an interest in being an educator. You know, being a clinician and being an educator, there there is a continuum and we are happy to support you along that path. And we need clinical preceptors and our programs need clinical preceptors. So please consider giving back. We would love to have you part of this tribe. So thank you again for the opportunity, Kevin. Yeah, thank you, too. Thank you so much. We are all uh, wishing you the very best in your new role. And I know it's it's only been a year, uh, year and a half, but uh, already what great work you and your team are doing to support our programs. And uh, I look forward to the next five to 10 years to watching PAEA continue to grow. Well, thank you for your continued leadership and for doing this on behalf of the profession. I, I appreciate that. And I, I've said I, I've had great mentors and you've certainly been one of them, Kevin. So thank oh, you. That's so very much. kind. That's very kind. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Mary Jo Bondi for sharing her insights about the profession and her updates related to the exciting things that are going on at PAEA. 
given their role in supporting applicants, students, and the educator and programs they're affiliated with, we are in a great place to navigate the future of our profession with their support. Tune in next week as we meet Mr. Paul Lombardo, who is this year's recipient of the American Academy of Physician Assistants Eugene Stead Lifetime Achievement Award, which is the highest honor our profession offers in recognition of the incredible contributions from a member of that organization. Paul has served in a wide variety of leadership roles through a 40-plus year history as a PA, and I look forward to hearing some of his incredible stories from his perspective as a PA, PA educator, and state and national leader. Until next time, I wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life, and thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the University of Southern California.